That's what. Just to be clear, this meeting is being recorded. Hello, everybody. Today feels more like a celebration than it does a study group uh, because there are a bunch of people arriving for the trainings that are coming up. And so the ones who are here sitting over in chamber number one are the are in their possibility people. So we might be interviewing them a little bit today just to how many? Yeah. So greetings. Anybody have any other check-in besides that before we start things rolling? Anybody have some experiments that they tried during the week they'd like to share about? Things that worked, things that did not work. Okay. Questions. Go ahead, Dor. Yes, I worked on the experiment of not finding another problem. And we talked about last week. And I realized that I have this mechanism of all the time finding another problem. Um, I'm going out on the street after this something and I'm like, there's nothing wrong, but my mind is trying to find something that is, is a, a new problem. So I did a lot of experiments with that this week. And I find that it's possible to make stretch the, the gap between problems to be longer. And it feels, it gives me a lot of joy to do that. I'm suspicious that there were two different eyes speaking in your, in your comment. The first one and the second one. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? I am not aware of which I talked into two different parts. I'm just suspicious that the I that could create problems uh, is probably your gremlin I. And the I that said that you were really glad about experiencing this period of time between problems was more of your essential being I. And they were both speaking with the name I. That can get quite confusing. And that in possibility management, it can be really helpful to identify which I is speaking when you, you can feel it. You can feel, I've learned to feel this, the purpose shift inside of myself between which I is speaking it has a different purpose or it has a different point of origin. So I would encourage people to try to distinguish that as an experience the purpose of the I that's speaking and then to just put it on the table, just take responsibility. My child I is afraid of this, you know, that my gremlin I wants to flirt or wants to win or wants to have a problem. My adult I wants to clean up our communications. My archetypal I, you know, I have all these I identities or I selves. We have an entire zoo of selves, actually. Entire underworld ecology. And so we'd ask you to uh, become the zookeeper, actually. 
And that's a fantastic uh, set of uh, a body of work is to identify the various characters you have inside of yourself and put labels on their cages or their wherever they they are inside of your zoo put labels and names on them and then it's not about suppressing all of them but it's about working with them consciously and so that that's part of what this is about thank you thank you Any other sharing from your experiments, discoveries, including the entire array of powerful beings on the couch? Yes, Marek. Yeah. So I started to do the, from the adult, I, I started to do the gremlin diet. And I'm... The last two days I made a discovery that is so far quite stunning to me and I'd like to hear some experiment uh, experiences from you about it is that it feels that the gremlin egos uh, the gremlin state is so welded into myself um, that so far I feel really like um, two personalities I can really switch in them and it can be yeah, looking in the past, it, it is as if I was a complete different person when I was in the gremlin state. And yeah, I here's think a, it, here's yeah. an interesting question for you to ask or answer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What percentage big is the gremlin of your adult ego state? What percentage is the gremlin part? It feels very big. I will, I will look at it. I'd like an answer now. So from the last two days feels like 76%. When I first discovered this thing, mine was 80%. Mm. And it, it took a while to take the behaviors of the, that did not belong in the adult ego state and put them one behavior at a time into the gremlin ego state. It took me a couple of years to do that. And yeah. so I encourage you to, it's called decontaminate your adult ego state from your gremlin ego state. Because otherwise you can't, you don't get to be present. How can somebody like you if you, if you are not being you? Yeah. If you're being 76% gremlin, how, how can they find enough you to like, to relate to and connect with? So it's a, in terms of any kind of relationship, unless you simply want to live out your life in a gremlin relationship, which many people do. Many people come together in relationship because then you have a convenient uh, partner with which you can do gremlin feeding ongoingly. So you have a partner to do gremlin exchanges with. And then, then you have a fat gremlin in your life your life is essentially owned by your gremlin. But, but if you look around, you can, you can notice different people in there, the way they communicate, the way they relate to each other, the way they uh, create possibilities for each other or not is for the most part gremlin. And then you can go, ah, this makes a lot of sense 
why they're together because, and they don't even know it because they, their parents were like this or nobody made the distinctions that they could have. Yeah. Is decontaminating about just stopping or also about healing? Your gremlin is a powerful agent that has dedicated itself to protecting your survival strategy, which we call your box. And so it's kind of like a lion. You could equate it to a lion. And so you don't tame a lion by walking up to it and punching it in the nose. The next thing that happens is you get your head bit off. So that, that doesn't work with gremlin. Yeah. So our, our procedure is more along the lines of consciousness, of becoming aware. And that's what the gremlin diet is for, is you find out all the foods that your gremlin would want to eat ordinarily is eating 50 foods. And then you make this list. And once you get to 50, then you get to decide five. So there's certain foods that uh, I would not recommend choosing out of those 50. So for example, I would not choose robbing banks, for example. I would not choose drinking alcohol. I would not choose mm, certain kinds of aggressive behaviors mm -hmm. that would feed your, your gremlin like rage outbursts or unconscious rage outbursts. There's things like that that are so, you know, it's, it's a self-deception to think that you can feed your gremlin those kinds of things uh, once a week and that um, that will change your relationship to your gremlin because it won't work that way. And so, yeah, so there's the whole procedure is spelled out pretty clearly because what happens is, is you, feed, you feed your gremlin, whatever it is, science fiction books or uh, buying really big bouquets of flowers or, and you might not think that's a gremlin food, but if, you, but if your gremlin loves it, it can be a gremlin food. So yeah. you give your gremlin these five foods every week on a regular basis and essentially it goes to sleep. It goes the hungry part of it, starts trusting you that you're going to feed it. So it does not have to subvert your life and steal food for itself. And then, then when, it, when you get that relationship going, then you can start doing experiments that the gremlin would freak out about because uh, those kinds of experiments that you would do would actually change your survival strategy, would change your box. And the, the gremlin says, no, 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 we're not changing the box because if it is in any other shape than it is right now, we might not survive. So that's why there's so much reactivity towards new behaviors, for example. I mean, next time you go to a party or something, walk in there and look through the 50 people or 100 people, whoever's there, look at who you, you want, you're attracted to, and then automatically be suspicious about that person or those people, because those are the exact people that your gremlin inbox were, are attracted to. So instead, you can do the experiment of going to talk to somebody that your box freaks out about. Who, who's the last person in the room you would talk to? Go talk to them. And then you can have the conversation instead of your box and gremlin. So it's a completely different uh, orientation towards I mean, connecting with people or being with people. Who gets to decide, your box and gremlin 
continue the same old thing or, or try something different and, and, and be a human being. See, see what else is possible. It's a great experiment. And Chloe. Can, can you hear me from the microphone? Okay, good. I, mm, along this way, I mean, the Brahman initiation, there are steps. There's really steps to, and there's spaces. People are really offering spaces, such as like a couple of days ago, I did the Brahmin reconstruction. From also some people who are here did it, and that's a big initiation on this journey of initiating your Brahmin, which is to take back the parts that you had to that you killed off, that you take apart from your Brahmin because your Brahmin was too big or too loud or too too much for school or your environment, your parents. And so there's this process when you, but you need to have learned to feel that you can, you, you then you can go through this process and take back your parts and have a fully reconstructed gremlin. And for example, Susanne Hutzler is going to do a, a, a gremlin and being space where they do this research about distinguishing between your gremlin and your being and how to feed each of them differently because they each require different food. And there's also this other space with Sophia Magdalena here and Vera and, and Brian over the summer, it's gonna be in the summer about decontamination is gonna be a three months course, like a three months program. And so, and I, I say this is when you get to be in those spaces and at the same time you do your own research, then it is a value that you have inside of you. And then it's a value that you can offer to other people because this distinction of gremlin is so unknown. People do not have it and therefore, and therefore their adult is contaminated or now gremlin is running their life. And there's many people who, who wanna have an adult life. There's enough of adult in them that they're hungry for extraordinary and archetypal, but without the distinction gremlin, it's over really. And so while you're on this journey, like Mark, you know, your pain or your research, if you keep going, then builds value in you to, that you can provide to other people. Like there's not enough people doing gremlin work in a way or offering gremlin spaces for, for the necessity that is actually there. Which is an invitation for any of you it's as soon as you've gone through one step of the journey, open up a space to help other people come through that step of the journey. And then that will support you enough to go to the next step and then take them through the next step. It's a fantastic way to learn, you know, there's a saying that you teach best what you most need to learn. And so it's these, as you explore it, bring people with you, try to do that. Thank you. Great. I thought there was somebody else going to say something. Hello, iPhone. iPhone with the red hat. Hi. Hand up. Hey, it's uh, Tessa here and Lula. Um, so I had a, I'm feeling a little nervous to ask this, but I had a question regarding Gremlin and um, when you mentioned that if you're you know, the person you're feeling attracted to is probably like, that's your gremlin. If you feel this initial attraction. So 
how do you consciously go about interacting with an individual who your gremlin feels very attracted to and um like is this something that you should just stay away from or any advice in that regards it might be my gremlin talking right now <laughs> i'm just thinking this is the 55th or 56th week that we've been meeting together building up a body of knowledge a set of practices that all of which are needed to do what you're saying all of them are needed and so there's no quick fix for something like that because you're talking about addictions you're talking about deep survival level addictions and th those kind of things are are not something you can decide to change with your mind and uh, something like that. Dor, would you mind turning your camera off if you're gonna eat? Thank you. Yeah, so it's a, it's a lovely question. It's a lovely quest. And if you take it as a quest, then your proposal to do uh, a cold turkey for a while, do cold turkey for three months and start you know, I, I walk around with my little beat book and I write stuff down in it. So write, just start writing down the characteristics that you think of are that you're being attracted to over there. Because I mean, the point of this is that things don't change unless they get too painful to keep doing them the same way you have been doing them. And the only reason you would ask that question is because you've probably noticed over a few times that you get well, some part of you gets attracted to somebody and then you start getting engaged and this other whole other part of them shows up. You go, oh man, not this again. You know, I got fooled again. I got tricked again. You know, the whole, and, and how did this happen? How could it possibly happen? Well, it's like we were talking about before, we have these parts and each part has its own purpose and each purpose produces a different result in our lives. And so it's pretty straightforward how it happens if you're willing to look. And that's why we do this work in a, in a team is because the, the, some people see us better than we see ourselves. And this is why we can start relying on each other for uh, kind of feedback or kind of observations what people notice about us, they tell about us, they have a purpose that we unfold our potential or succeed or have a, have a better life somehow. And when you come together in a team like that with that purpose, it creates an entirely different way of life because essentially we've been taught to be lone wolves. We've been essentially taught we have to go out there and figure this out ourselves and we try to copy the movies or the magazines or the politicians or the role models, and, and it just is a, an empty world that we end up in. And so the, the steps that you asked about are, are really, uh, in, it's, it's an entire hero's journey. I would call it a hero's journey because, because uh, unlearning the things that we've learned leaves almost nothing left. And then, then we're sitting here with almost nothing left after thinking that we did a good job at school, we pleased our parents, we 
got a job in, in, the, in society and then, and then we're, we're stuck uh, realizing that the entire context of the work that we were, that we succeeded in is we succeeded in being really good slave labor for corporations. We, we succeeded in being good consumers, something like that. And so, well, you go, well, gosh, that's not really what I was born for. I really have a different life in mind. And that what that means is starting all over, almost from zero. But the thing is, it's not from zero. This is the useful part to know is that in our first 18 years of life, up until actually however old we are now, we've been building matrix, building matrix in your energetic body, been building matrix in your being, and the matrix holds more awareness. And so the, whereas before you were 18, trying new things was not very effective because there, you couldn't hold, you could not hold your new choices, your new commitments, your new experiments. And now you can. And so that's why adulthood is so fantastic in terms of living on planet earth is the, the earth is designed for being adults. So the only problem is modern culture doesn't teach us how to be adults. So we can figure that out. We can figure that out through going through adulthood initiatory processes, which are not offered by modern culture, but you have to find them by going to the edge, by being an edge worker. So everyone in this team here is an edge worker. You've gone to the edge, you've built matrix in your body enough to be here at the edge and stay here and do experiments. And, but nobody can do the experiments for you. I'm, I'm hoping more and more people will start doing more and more of the experiments that we create in the, in the study group here. Because the more often you do them during your week, the more matrix it builds in you to hold the next experiments that we're going to do. So that would be, this is a kind of a roundabout answer to your proposal that we give you a complete lesson in transformational archiarchal relationship in the next 20 minutes. So I wish we could, I wish we had a pill about that because there's a lot of other things that are also interesting to learn about in addition to just relating well, relating ecstatically. Thank you for your question. You're welcome, thank you. And can I ask one more other thing? What is the cold turkey for three months? Like, what does that mean? That means don't have sex with the first guy you lay eyes on for the next three months. And instead, okay. write, write down in your book why you think you're attracted to them. And then, and then start making clear notes about, well, you know, he has this, he doesn't do that, whatever. And, and write that down and then wait till the next one comes along and then wait till the next one comes along and you'll start to see some patterns. It's a way of self-observation. And when you write it in your little book and you normally we would forget, we are so good at knocking ourselves unconscious. So by writing it down in your book and, and putting the date and then rereading it again a few times and then you find a guy, you walk in you pick the same and you, here's a totally new thing. This is different. This, this one's different. And then you write down what you're attracted to. And then you compare notes afterwards. Yeah. You'll see that there's a, there's some factors at work that are mysteriously deciding things about your life that are inexplicable 
until you start taking responsibility for those secret parts of yourself that are operating. That's what it's about. So you can interact, but just don't be the gremlin sex. Cold turkey means stand on the other side of the room, do not say a word, do not look in their eyes and write down the fantasy world that's concocted in your five bodies about what that thing over there is. You know, it's either a duplication of your mother, a duplication of your father, the opposite of your father, but it's really your father, some, something like that. But until, okay. you, until you look at the black and white notes in your book, you won't believe it. Thank you. Good luck. I hope you have a Thank team. You. Hope you have a team. I do. Okay. Mark, you're going to say something or was it Kian? Go ahead, Kian. I want to report on two things. Um, first, I started experimenting with completion loops and that really blew my mind away. And it was just, uh, I started doing completion loops with my mother, with just people who were giving me feedback, uh, basically with everyone I met. And it was, it was, like my gremlin was just wanting to be right and I, I decided to still do the completion loop and it totally changed relationships it was like wow what what were my relationships about before actually good question what did you figure out yeah being right something like that being and not connecting yeah it's your choice you get to be right or be in relationship yeah. And then the other thing I started doing like is a possibility spaceship maybe every two weeks in my in my in my room. And last time, last Thursday, seven women showed up. It's not I invited only women, but only only women showed up and it was such a devastating meeting with the feminine. It was a big beep. It was really Wow, I, I I was totally scared, afraid, the heck out of and people from different like people who had no experience and people who really had experience with possibility management and we did anger work and it totally broke the space apart and it was it was such a big beep I got there and so much fear came up of the of being eaten by the feminine or just being destroyed and I used completion loops with what the what what the women gave me in feedback and was and it was that changed the whole thing that was um, yeah that made it an experience where I really learned something from and I'm really yeah I'm really grateful for for this tool cool thank you Something that you've mentioned that we won't be talking about right here, but I'll mention shortly, which is the difference between leadership and holding space. And that because I, I suspect you were trying to be some kind of leader or being the leader of the space. And uh, probably a number of the participants with you are already have one and a half feet in next culture. And next culture, Leadership is looked 
uh, on leadership is seen as a way to create followership. And so you don't have a leader unless you have followers and then you have a hierarchy. And so uh, next cultures is uh, a, a space navigation. It isn't about leading. It's about navigating space and holding space and uh, making the most, like the most valuable use out of the group intelligence that's in this space, which has almost has nothing to do with leadership, it has nothing to do with that at all. It's a completely different paradigm, and that paradigm takes some practice to get a hold of. Takes some practice to to be to do. So I encourage you to go to the Taurus Technology website and. Uh, start researching what it means to, there's another, another website called Navigating Space, Navigate Space. I don't think there's so much on there yet, but there's a lot to learn about holding and navigating space that's very different from leadership. So a man, you know, a male person in the patriarchy is supposed to ideal is a leader. And so this is hammered into our nervous system and we are, we are screwed. If you try to, if you're, if you're doing these kinds of experiments, if you want to be in a space with men and women and, and um, try to learn a kind of relating that is from next culture, that's different from the hierarchical patriarchal command and control, uh, male possesses female sort of relating. If you want anything different from that, it's gonna, you have to really start over with the way to uh, be in spaces with other people. And it, it can be very, very powerful and there's no leader involved like that. Yes, thank you. Yeah, let us know how it goes. Anything else from anybody right now? The Jonathan Edwards Trio is online, welcome. Nice to see you guys. You guys, how did you do this week? You know, we, we did some heavy duty stuff last week. Would you, did you try anything? I would say yes. Yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. Yeah, well, sure. I, I want her to answer because she'll tell the truth. <laughs> well, it has been interesting. Um, I, I think I put it in the comments last week that when you said like experimenting with not having a problem, to see how long you can exist without having a problem, that uh, definitely created a possibility because that's not that doesn't seem to be in my mm. that's not in my pattern, uh, and uh, there were problems. Um, I mean, at, and <laughs> in our ecosystem or challenges, and so yeah, but still trying to like hold that as a possibility of like, well, what is mine? You know, where do I? reach too far. Um, yeah, what programming's there, family programming, um, maybe even uh, gender programming or uh, so, but I did, it was like a brain tickle sort of thing. Like that's a possibility. That would be really, that, that sounds fun. Um, and it, where I ended this week actually was like, well, how much pleasure can, um, where do I deny myself pleasure? And like, it's like, I will show up for problems and struggle and pain. Um, and so like, well, what if there's this possibility of showing up for more pleasure? 
Um, so that's, I appreciated the call last week and really appreciating today and yeah. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Anything else from you guys? So you mentioned something about walking on eggshells last yeah. week. Yeah, yeah. The conversations and yeah, that, that resonated because it's something I realized that I do around certain people, certain situations and I hadn't, I guess I hadn't named it and just the, the naming of it really brought it into focus and then I couldn't ignore it anymore. Uh, so yeah, we had some process around that yesterday. I realized I was walking around eggshells around Julia and then she had an insight today that usually that's a result, and you, I mean, you could articulate this maybe better than I can, but uh, as a it's often a result of not being sure what the boundary is either in oneself or not being clear. Some, some, some lack of clarity around boundaries leads to walking on eggshells. So we, we had a process of clarifying what the boundaries and the agreements were, and then there's no longer a need to walk on eggshells. Yeah, thank you. Cool. Thanks for reporting. It's such an important detector for being adaptive, giving your center weight, playing, uh, playing nice person, or which is a complete breakdown of human relationship, because it's inauthentic. If somebody is being so adaptive, there's, it's not based on a, an authentic connection. And so you can adapt your way all the way through life. And then you're laying on your deathbed going, gosh, I wish I would have lived my life, actually, because something else lived my life. The nice boy, the good girl, you know, the adaptive person lived my life. Who would I have been? I wonder who I would have been if I was not so adaptive. One of the, I mean, I, I'm gonna dive into the book because it's really about tools that can help with this communicating. When you said uh, there was a breakdown in communication and this is about these four kinds of listening and, and different kinds of speaking. Uh, there was a person there I just wanted to hear a few words from for a second, I guess, was there an Andrea? Andrea. Yeah, Andrea, will you say hello? Hi, um, I uh, introduced myself the last time, um, but what I would like to share what I tried over the week was um, that I um, didn't have much chance to practice the experiment, but what I noticed is that not in relation, like what I notice is that I am often um, the problem that my mom is trying to solve, like that I serve as that person for the problem. So what I'm learning is to actually say like, I've, I've got this, let me do this. You don't have to do this for me. So this is what I was experimenting with. <clears throat> this is such a powerful thing <clears throat> because if there is no victim, then there can be no rescuer. If there's no victim, then there can be no persecutor. And what you're saying, I've got this, means you're not a victim. But it creates such a different dynamic um, at home. And like, I can actually feel how nervous she is. Like she, she's really looking 
for someone to or something to um, take care of. It's, it's really difficult for me to hold that space for myself as well and stay centered and like stay grounded and not like let her do those things or um, just try to calm her like it's okay. It sounds like you have a perfect experimental environment. Oh yeah, I do. <laughs> so one of the eight prisons to escape from or to get out of is your parents' bubble. And you're preparing yourself to do that. So there's eight of them and your parents' bubble is only the second one. So there's the other, you got out of your mother's belly to some degree, but you're still stuck in your parents' bubble so to grow up into adulthood, you've got six more prisons to go. There's a great website called Eight Prisons, but it's not gonna help you much. You can only do the next one. So work on the next one. You will not, you don't get to get out of all the prisons all at once unless you die and that's cheating. So no dying and in this where, where can I find um, at least like the list of those prisons? It's a website called eightprisons.mystrikingly.com. Thank you. Good luck. We want you to have a successful prison break. There's a I am working on the first one. Your mom's belly? Uh, my parents in general, like That's the like, whole bubble. It's, yeah. it's been quite a huge theme for me for like more than a year now. So but, um, I, I see huge changes happening there. So. There's a big wide world out there beyond that bubble. There is indeed, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I wanna check with my team over here on the couch in the living room. Are you proposing anything? We're reading. Page 163 in the bottom right hand corner, Radiant Joy, Brilliant Love. In this section, we will distinguish four kinds of listening. I started this last week because it's the thing is that we have ears, we think we can listen, but there's four kinds of listening. These few distinctions, yeah, and then and then in the section after that, we will distinguish six or so kinds of speaking. These few distinctions are enough to start you behaving in ways that open up whole new patterns of relationship. Keep in mind that since soft skills are applied in relationship with another person, they are learned the same way, meaning you need another person. So find someone with whom you can practice listening and speaking exercises. So what an excellent pickup line, right? Hey, I got these speaking and listening exercises I need to practice. I really need a partner. Would you do this with me? What a great thing. We have a new kind of dating service. It's called experimentwithme.com. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody can be rich and famous with that one. <laughs> Archaeological dating service for experimenters only. 
and and practice with practice the exercises practice the skills again and again until they naturally settle into your behavior repertoire that will not happen by the way unless you go through a liquid state we haven't really talked about liquid states so much it was a few months ago we were talking about liquid states but what this means is if you get a new skill and it integrates into your being you will not have the same shape. You will have a different shape. And then you will interact with the world differently. But your change, if you change your shape, you force the universe to flow around you in a different way. So if you don't like your circumstances, change, learn something new, change your shape. If you don't like your, your circumstances, learn new skills that will change the shape of your being and the energy will flow around you differently. Not only that, but if you're, if you've been in the backwater of evolution for a while and you're feeling left out of the transformational world, you know, echo has, echo has put you on a shelf on the side. Echo is the earth coincidence control office because there's enough other people to fulfill any job that you can fulfill. So you're just waiting on the bench back there until you have an interesting shape for the earth coincidence control office to put into an interesting situation. So like, for example, that's why I learned to pick locks and go in sewer systems and make explosives and fireworks. And I learned to make weird things out of elastic uh, latex rubber and I learned to make smoke bombs and but pretty soon Echo just grabbed me off the shelf and threw me into the next project that was building a catamaran to sail around the world as an example of education and a floating university, an, an example of sanity and, and a community on a catamaran. It just picked me up by the back of the neck and just threw me into this thing out in Los Angeles. The project failed, of course, but I found my first wife. That was not such a bad deal. So, so that's, I'm serious, I'm serious. This is really incredible how to get involved in uh, cool stuff that's happening on the planet is get yourself skilled up in interesting skills and then you'll get jobs to do. So that's, so four kinds of listening is skills. These are skills. Extraordinary human relationship is supported by four kinds of listening. One, normal neurotic listening. Two, adult listening. Three, possibility listening. Four, discovery listening. Distinguishing and consciously implementing which kind of listening you are doing in each circumstances. It changes listening from an unconscious habit pattern to a set of consciously applied tools. The four kinds of listening are neither good nor bad. They each produce certain results. It is most useful to be skilled in all four kinds of listening so you can create the most beneficial results in every situation, unless your box likes negative attention and then you wanna create the most horrible results in every situation and then your box will enjoy that. I'm sure some of you have a, have a kind of a box that likes to get negative attention. And if you don't get it from somebody else, then you criticize yourself and just kind of beat, beat yourself up. Does anybody have that kind of box where you mostly kind of criticize yourself 
and beat yourself up. Anybody have that kind of thing going on? Yeah, it's not good or bad or right or wrong. It's just uh, if you don't have clarity about that it's um, a show, it's like a survival strategy. If you don't, if you if you think it's true, then your your bullshit detector needs some adjustment. You should take it into the bullshit detector repair station because a bullshit detector is worth both work both outside and inside. So if your bullshit detector is only detects bullshit on the outside, but not on the inside, it's broken. It's not working well for you. Your bullshit detector, like no matter how much you criticize yourself, it's not gonna help anything or make anything better or worse. No matter how much you criticize somebody else, the same thing, because criticism is just bullshit. So, so that's what I mean is if you can detect bullshit, I mean, you have this experience of, of uh, seeing how it is to be in a space with no problems and see how long you can tolerate the intensity of that. Well, just wait till your bullshit detector is working. See how long you can stay in a space of no bullshit, internal or external bullshit, no bullshit. How long can you stay in a space with no voices judging you, criticizing you, or praising you, telling you what an amazing person you are? How, how long can you be in a space where none of those well, none of that is going on. Whether in a bullshit-free space, how long can you endure that? This is a great experiment. So using the wrong tool, meaning one of the four kinds of listening, using the wrong tool for the wrong job tends to lead to the standard and familiar difficulties of ordinary human relationship. So these next sections describe the four kinds of listening. Here we go. Normal neurotic listening is by far the most common sort of listening that we encounter and produce during our usual day. It is named quote unquote neurotic because it is behavior that is self-referenced, self-serving and does not accomplish what it promises, namely listening. So you does not accomplish listening. In normal neurotic listening, there is no correlation between what is spoken and what is heard by the other person. There's no correlation. It, if the speaker says something important and we use normal neurotic listening, we might interpret what they said as a personal attack. We could feel either challenged or stimulated and before the speaker even finishes what they're saying, we will start formulating in our own mind what we are going to say back to them. We allow no time for what they said to land in our heart, in our energetic body, in our being. There's no time for that. Our mind keeps running and words burst out of our mouth like horses out of a starting gate, even before the speaker has stopped speaking. Has anybody ever seen anything like that before? Can as weird as it is, I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, people, really, this is an, it's, it's a strange kind of thing if you're calling that listening. If the speaker communicates with anger or sadness or fear, we immediately take it on as our problem and we try to avoid it or we try to rescue them and solve it. In any case, we try to fix them because feelings are bad. So many things the speaker wants to share are things we do not want to hear about. So we cleverly ask 
diagonal questions. We ask the questions that change the subject or make a joke or look at our watch and whip out some excuse. Oh, gosh, I gotta leave now. So normal neurotic listening is not about listening to the other person at all. It is about listening to ourselves. Neurotic listening is listening that serves me. It is the type of listening that was demonstrated to us so often that we still imitate it today without knowing what we're doing or the cost of it. Remember, normal neurotic listening is neither good nor bad. It does produce certain results. Some results of normal neurotic listening can be extremely useful, such as interrupting a normal neurotic speaker in order to start a meta conversation. So you can use the power of your, of your normal neurotic speaking to be a jerk, to be an asshole, and not continue listening to normal neurotic listening anymore. You're actually using normal neurotic listening to kill normal neurotic listening and change the space. You know, if, if you don't learn how to make normal neurotic listening as a conscious skill, you will end up with too many vacuum cleaners or too many subscriptions to magazines that you actually don't wanna read. People call you up on the telephone, try to sell you insurance. You have all this insurance you don't need. It's because you, got, you were not able to use your normal neurotic listening and just say, no, I'm not available for you to sell me this shit. So some of us cannot do normal neurotic listening. So we do not have the tool available when we need it. So we end up, yes, we end up with, with results that are unsatisfactory without claiming that they're unsatisfactory. We don't do that. I'm checking with uh, a colleague and Chloe. So we skip this, we just keep reading about it. Probably, eh? Yeah, maybe we should after. Yeah, okay. All right, number two, adult listening. Number two, adult listening follows the map of communication, which is what we were working about last week, which is this, you know, this get this urge and you, and you encode the urge into a message and the message is transmitted and the listener decodes the message and then they get this, they get this impulse. They have this communication that lands in them. So adult listening has the intention to complete communications, which means with the completion loop to go all the way around. So that's an adult listening kind of thing. And it, the reason is, is you wanna to navigate toward extraordinary human love. This is adult listening. Adult listening is rare and extraordinary in, and it leads to extraordinary human relationships. In adult listening, there are consequences to receiving a communication. If you receive a communication, you are changed. You get that? Somebody tells you something and it integrates in you, you are changed. You, you, you feel what they feel, you know what they know, you heard what they want or don't want, and, and things will change. If you are not changed, it is not adult communication. 
So in adult listening, there are consequences to receiving a communication. Something stops or starts, something happens. With adult listening, you look into the eyes of the speaker, you maintain an open body position, and your, your legs are uncrossed, your arms are uncrossed, your hands are uncrossed. I mean, look at this. Sometimes we listen like this. It's one, two, three, four, five blocks. Each little X is a block. So if you, if you look like you're paying really close attention, your hands are crossed, or you're going like this and your, your center goes up in your mind, or, or you have your arms crossed like this, it's just a big X, your legs are crossed. This is a huge block, huge, huge block. It's nothing's really coming in. It's kind of like you're watching a, a TV in a, in a, inside of a TV store, so you can see what's happening on the screen, but you don't really hear what anybody says. So with adult listening, you look in their eyes, have uncrossed open body position, and your purpose is to understand what the speaker is saying. Sometimes you have to ask a question to clarify your understanding, but be careful because questions are the most powerful way to dominate or, or manipulate a conversation. Questions easily let you guide the speaker into talking about what you want to hear rather than what the speaker wants to say. Also remember that if you are repeating back what a person says with your own comments attached, or if you are asking elaborate questions, you are talking. So if you're, if you're talking, you're not listening. Adult listening serves both the listener and the speaker. It is listening for us. So it's a, such a fabulous joy after a bunch of neurotic speaking to do some adult listening. It's, it's uh, sometimes called active listening. And it's a, a skill that you need when you're doing uh, possibility coaching with people. You need to be able to make completion loops. It's called using the golden key in possibility making. You're using the golden key when they say yes, then you're at the next level. So the third kind of listening is possibility listening. It's something that you've done before, but now you'll have a name for it and an energetic diagram of what is happening. In possibility listening, the listener takes on, that's you, you take on an archetypal king or queen posture. So you're sitting with regal, formal, whole body attention. Your head is straight, your feet are flat on the floor, your shoulders are relaxed, your hands are palm down on your lap. You can do this experiment, you can sit there and put your hands on your knees. And then, and then while, you're, while you're doing that, feel yourself, feel what it's like being in there with your hands on your knees and just turn your hands over, only do that. Just turn your hands over. See if you can feel what difference that makes. And then turn them back down again on top of your knees. Feel that. And then turn your hands back up. What's the difference? What, what do you detect the difference when you just by moving your hands like that? Somebody? When they're up, I go more into my head. Thank you, somebody. You're I don't know if you heard that. She went, she goes in her head with her hands are up. Somebody else? Yeah, I, I noticed I, I, my, I'm open to like everything around when I'm up and when I'm down, I'm like, I feel really here in, in this space. 
Door. It it changes also the way I breathe. Breathe. What's the difference? When I, when the face the palms up, it's more open. The breathing more wide, I think. Okay. Anybody else? Yeah, Ingrid. I feel more myself when I have the hands on my knees. So for for me, it's easier to be centered. Then when I have the the hands up, I feel myself a little less. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So, so all the stuff that we're talking about in this book, in possibility management, it's experiential. It's not a theory. It doesn't come from a concept or a construct. It's essentially experiential. And that's where it came from. We did not learn this from like, uh, from from taking a workshop or a class somewhere, reading it and researching it in the, in the literature. It's not where this came from. Possibility management came since 1975 from empirical research going, what happened to you? And then they say, well, I, this is what happened. What happened to you? And you go, yeah, it was, it was the same. So what we discovered was with hands down, it's, we get to be a lot more grounded more grounded. And when, when you have your hands up, like Jeff said, in, in door, you're open to a lot more things. So there's plenty of things out there that would love to occupy a human body if you're not using it. So that's where people who are ungrounded uh, often have their hands open, hands up. Anybody can come in and, and essentially take over. They lose their center. They lose their authority. And so the work in possibility management is centered, grounded, bubbled, present, sort out, create. What are you creating? What, are you, what kind of relationship? What are you creating? Cool. The Jonathan Edwards team, would you like to share that with us? Um, I was the quick share about how that was actually what I was taught in massage therapy school with meditation practices and active listening. And also my experience of just palms up creates a softness of the belly and it has me sit further back and I'm open to receive, open to receive whatever skyward and in the energy or spirit or within the ecosystem. And then just that palms down was very much of like, I'm going to, then like my attention comes forward a little bit, I can concentrate more or I can ground down into my own experience more. Thank you. When, if the speaker, so while you're doing, while you're doing possibility listening, you're not, it's a different kind of listening. So you're sitting with hands down, you're not nodding your head, you're not smiling because both of these things can be a, a form of conditioning. When you're going like this and going like this and you're smiling, the, the speaker automatically wants to keep you smiling and nodding. And so it's, you're, actually, you're actually conditioning or controlling the speaker to speak about the things that make you smile and nod. So then again, you're forcing them to speak to you about what you want to hear about not necessarily what they want to say. So you relax your face, 
keep your mouth closed, you're centered, and you have this uh, open space to hear what they want to what they want to say. Try, so if the speaker sees you smile, yeah, they're going to. So smiling or nodding then serves to manipulate the speaker. You look directly into their eyes silently. You can snap your fingers once to declare that you become a space, kind of a workbench, and then you listen. You do not speak. This is called possibility listening. Every now and then you might say, hmm, just so they know you're not dead. Your job is to be the space into which the other person can say anything in contrast to adult listening in which your intention is to understand the speaker. In possibility listening, you can listen to more than you can understand. You can listen to more than you can understand, which is great because each one of us has our own unique form of understanding. There's this weird concept in school that people understand the same things. It's never true. You know, you understand things you understand. And when you're listening to somebody else as a space, you can listen to more than you understand. I remember being in this, this workshop with this guy at training and he, he, he said, I was doing this exercise. I was practicing possibility listening and this woman was across from me. And so she said something, I didn't understand it at all. And then she said another thing to me and I didn't understand that or the first thing. And then she said another thing to me and none of it made sense. And then she said the fourth thing to me and it, all of a sudden all four things went ka-chunk all at the same time because I was listening in a serial mode one after the other and she was speaking in parallel mode and I have never experienced that before in my life. This guy had a whole new future after this that he could listen to more than he could understand. So your listening serves the other person as a workbench for them to work things out in or on. There's, you offer zero resistance to the flow of their speaking. No reaction, no smiling, no questions, no comments. You are simply being a yes for them, being there for them. Possibility listening is not intended to serve you. It is intended to serve the speaker. Possibility listening is not to be used indiscriminately. And particularly, in particular, it does not mean that you become a doormat for complaints or an emotional garbage can. Possibility listening is a powerful experience both for the listener and for the speaker. For example, listeners often report experiencing an unexpectedly intense compassion for the speaker and empathy with their feelings and desires. Tremendous elegance and respect can be created in relationship through possibility listening. We are so accustomed to fighting in order to be heard that many people need practice time to listen how to speak and make use of such a profound listening space. When you make the gesture of possibility listening, you can detect if the speaker hesitates. Rather than making your speaker uncomfortable, you might try doing possibility listening for five second burst between streams of adult listening. On the other hand, one manager told me that he used possibility listening for six hours straight with a client who was ready to fire him. 
And instead, he came away with two additional jobs. You get that? The client was ready to, he had a meeting, you're fired. And the guy said, what do I do? He just did possibility listening. And he listened for three hours. They went to lunch, came back another three hours. And the guy gave him that job plus two more jobs. So this is really people are longing for this, to be heard. Given a possibility listening space to speak into, people often report that they say things out loud that they have never dared to say before. Things they did not even know were in them. What they say becomes more clear and solid for them while speaking it. Plans and visions become more real. Possibility listening is a precious and astonishing gift to provide for other people. The fourth kind of listening is discovery listening. It is a consciously directed listening for. So you're focused listening. You're listening for a specific kind of thing where you pay specific attention, specific attention to hearing certain signals that align to an intention that you have in mind as you mostly ignore and you mostly ignore the rest of the, of the things that are coming up. This is discovery listening. In ordinary human relationship, we use discovery listening unconsciously as like, I have a chip on my shoulder. Do you know what that phrase means? It means I'm looking for something to piss me off. I'm lo looking at something for you to do that I will get offended so that I can react to you. So you're listening to your boss, you're listening to your neighbor, you're just listening, you're going, just say the wrong thing, just say the wrong thing. And, and then we can explode and we can have a feeding, a gremlin feeding frenzy. So we have a particular listening for so that we can go into this reactivity mode. We only, we listen only to hear what will push our buttons or make us angry or make the job impossible or make us feel excluded from the group. We listen for what will make us miserable or depressed or make us superior or make us offended and permit us to get revenge and so on. This is, this is unconscious use of discovery listening where you're listening for a specific purpose. It's the unconscious use of it. We might also habitually use this listening, this power to listen for, to push positive but equally mechanical buttons that trigger false emotional happiness in us, such as listening for people who also graduated from Yale University, listening for people who also collect coins from foreign countries, listening for people who also love Hawaii or the television show Hawaii Five-0 or we, <laughs> Which series, you know, we're listening for people who listen to the, the Witcher. Did you see the Witcher? And then we listen for those people that are out there. And so this, this is a discovery listening consciously. The, the conscious use of discovery listening directs your listening for to detect and amplify a particular quality in the speaker the same way that a miner who's a gold miner 
sifts through you know, all the stone to just to find a, a flake of pure gold. You're listening for the pure gold. For example, you might use discovery speaking to listen for a person's commitment. You can listen for commitment in a space. You can thereby strengthening your relationship bond with them. You can, you can with discovery listening, you could also listen for significance. What is significant to a person? What's important to them? And uh, you, can, you can also scan for what triggers a physical reaction in the person's nervous system. The same way that a, um, a lie detector, a galvanic skin response lie detector can detect, responds a certain physical reaction. And so, for example, when you are suggesting what to have for dinner, let's say you're suggesting what to have for dinner and or where to go on holiday or which dress to wear, the person you're speaking to, you can, you can tune into their whole body react when they when you make the right suggestion so you have you're listening for their their whole reaction i'm i'm sure you know what i'm talking about or when listening to children about their day or adults and you know that something is wrong but they have not shared what happened then you use discovery listening to hone in on what is bothering them so you just ask this open question. What about that? What, what are you feeling? Some, anything about that? You like open, ask these open questions because you're listening for with, you're listening for what's going on with them. Something's bothering them. Discovery listening is thus a useful parenting and healing tool. You can also use discovery listening for navigating spaces with groups. For example, you can listen for love. You can, you can listen specifically for love so as to detect if a person loves you or not. To listen for possibility, to detect if a group considers your offer to be possible or not. You know, you might be a possibilitator. You might be able to create the most amazing possibility in the world. But if you put it out on the plate and people can't take it, they, they don't, they reject it, your possibility goes unused. So in addition to be able to create possibility, it's also necessary to, to sell possibility, to, to open, open up the possibility of possibility. So this is an additional skill. So, so you have to listen for what's possible for people and you can build a bridge, based on your listening, you can build a bridge from where a person is to this new possibility. So you put in one distinction at a time, one example at a time, one question at a time, you build a bridge from where a person is or an organization to an entirely different world with a different possibility. But you have to be able to listen for possibility to build those bridges. You can listen for dignity and respect. Listening for dignity and respect is a creative way to only hear and notice those qualities about a person that make them noble. So it's, again, we most often use uh, discovery speaking 
to listen to people for ways that make them look stupid or mistakes that they're making or things where we can insult them or, or, or you know, be superior to them. So, but you can also listen in a very specific way for, and, and this is so important. I'm not sure if it says this, so I'm just gonna say it anyway. Uh, it says, if you have a client sitting across from you and if you're doing some kind of healing work with them, you will not be able to heal them unless you find something to love about them. You've got to find something to love about them. And so you're listening for, for what, and what makes them, you're looking for evidence, you're listening for evidence of something that makes them dignified and noble. And you speak to that then, once you find that. If you only hear and see what is noble, intelligent and beautiful about a person and ignore the rest, soon they will start to notice the same things about themselves. This is a very powerful tool called the nine cows story. Section 14a will get there eventually. So these four kinds of, so, so, yeah, so when you're, when you have this listening for what makes a person, it does dignified or, or noble, it does not take very much evidence. So for example, let's say you have, you're working in some company or you have a client or a boss or something, and they're just an asshole. They're just a selfish, psychopathic, ignorant asshole. And you've got to, you know, you're, you're, you, you want to stay in relationship with them. So you walk in and you scan for something kind of evidence that makes them dignified and noble. So you look all around and you see that their shoes are polished really well. And so you sit there and you put your, focus your attention on the incredible, meticulous, their, their perfect way that they've polished their shoes. You go, gosh, what, a, what an amazing guy. His shoes are polished with this shiny black stuff. It's just amazing. And then you stay in that. And, and then they cannot be an asshole to you very well because you find them dignified and noble. They, their, their stuff is looking for something to react in you, to push your buttons. And if you're just sitting there in admiration and respect, because you found this, you, because they have this turquoise color in their tie, and it just it's a perfect color for them. And you just focus on the turquoise color in their tie. Or maybe the top of their desk is perfectly clean. Or you can find something. You can find something. And you just focus on that with your, with your discovery listening. And then there's nothing in you to be hooked. You can't be triggered into responding in the usual spiteful, hateful, reactive way that they expect from everybody. And they won't even know who you are anymore. They, they, they will not understand how come they cannot force you into hating them or you know, like quivering in fear in front of them because they're the boss or they're the client or something like that. So it's a really fantastic set of experiments to do is to actually use your discovery listening for specific purposes like that. These four kinds of listening have unique applications and should be used appropriately when they are needed. As for example, with hand tools, it is possible to separate a piece of wood into two parts with a hammer. You just beat this piece of wood to death with a hammer and eventually it'll break apart into two pieces. However, 
if you have, if you use a saw, uh, and it's, it's possible, for example, to pound a nail in with a saw, you know, if you can just, you just, it's a weird thing, but you can use the wrong tool for the wrong job. But if you use the right tool for the right job, it proves to be far more rewarding. So a few years ago, I was with about 20 people who had the opportunity to attend a private dinner party with a venerated spiritual teacher. It was proposed that after dinner, we get a chance to ask this teacher a question, a rare opportunity. On this occasion, the teacher said, yes, that he would answer questions. While the summer sky faded into dusk, we carefully seated ourselves around his feet on an outdoor patio. This is a true story, by the way. Most of my stories are true, by the way. So I planted myself, I planted myself purposely in the center of the group, directly in front of the spiritual teacher. I grounded myself with a big fat grounding cord. I found my center and went into this open body position that characterizes possibility listening. And I placed my attention on my own attention, trying to be as present as I could. As the group settled into silence, this teacher said, are there any questions? My hand shot up unwaveringly before I had a chance to think about it. And out of my mouth came this open question, an open question, one that reflected great personal need for me, but no personal agenda for me. And one that could receive an unlimited amount of information from him. I said, could you tell us about your lineage and your spiritual teacher? And then I shifted into being this space. And at first, the teacher tested the connection with me to determine what level of current I could handle, like this, like lightning, like how, how much could I handle? And so with my big grounding cord on my big open space, his, his eyes bored into my soul with an unwavering intensity like this laser for several long moments. There was absolute stillness and silence in this space. And when he saw that my intention remained solid and that I was not resisting, he went to full power. It was like having all filters removed and being directly exposed to the sun's maximum radiation. Only instead of light and heat, what poured out of his heart was pure love for his teacher and for his path. It felt like a constant bolt of lightning, 10,000 volts roaring through my body. I tried to keep breathing and every few seconds I cleaned out my listening space. You know, I clicked my clicker, dropped in one of these golden balls, <clears throat> blew out my space and it was clean again for him to put more stuff in. So this, he it was so fresh that he could continue speaking for 45 minutes before he stopped. I hardly understood a word that he had said. I was, I had pre-arranged, it's not what it says here, but I pre-arranged with the other students. I told them I was gonna do this. And I said, please take meticulous notes. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna ask a question, but I will not understand a word that he says. So please take notes. So they did. And, uh, and uh, just, just to be legendary, the students of that who were at that meeting still, they all remember this evening till today of what an amazing space it was because I could open up this possibility listening space and ground it into the earth with such 
you know, and this, that the teacher could dump everything into this space for everybody. Like everybody got this. It was really a gift for everybody. So my job, I was counting on the others to understand. My job was to be the listening into which he could speak for as long as he wanted. I intended the listening to be without obstruction and to be unfillable. Even though it was years ago, people who attended that talk still remember it today as extraordinary. The teacher shared with such vulnerability, tenderness, and candor. Only with possibility of listening was I able to serve the teacher and the group by making optimal use of an occasion that could have easily been sidetracked and minimalized through the reductive listening of the intellect. It is such an opportunity that you have here. This is, this is what I would wish for you. Yes. I'm at the end of a section. So anybody have any questions or comments or sharing about this stuff we've been going through? I just absolutely love that idea of um, discovery listening for what is dignified and noble in somebody. And um, I really feel like that's something that I could use to a lot of advantage uh, in lots of situations. Again, yeah, thank you, Stephanie, thank you. I mean, again, it's like we could have started learning this stuff in junior high school. We could have had classes in this and we would be experts by now. But I think, I think what you said is totally true. So thank you very much. Marek, you were gonna say something? Yeah, I wanted to share something that popped up um, about the understanding or the listening and purely listening without understanding. And what I noticed just having a walk with a friend a couple of hours ago was I was telling him something that come, came from the depth of me. And I noticed that it irritated him like as if it were too much. And, and then I notice, and that's what I'm going to research on now is that it irritates me back as if I have, I spoke spoken too strong or too, from too much depth for that person to handle. And yeah, I wonder where that comes from, this insecurity in me of then, yeah, being insecure if I should have done that or not. How will you ever figure it out if you should have or not? I mean, there's no rule book. There's no police, there's no law. How will you tell? I mean, here's the thing, we get to live out our lives and there's 8 billion people on the planet. And so we live out our lives with certain people somehow who are around us. How did those people get to be around us? Was, for me, it's been a mystery. Like right now, our living room, I have six amazing beings over there in the living room, really. You guys should see this. Here they are all sitting there looking at you, looking at them over there 
Say hi, you guys. You're on TV. <laughs> okay. How did that happen? I don't know. You know I, don't blame me. I mean, so we get to be around certain people. And, and so you're go, if you, if you, this back of the walking on the eggshells thing again, if you are trying to figure out how to be in such a way that none of those people feel angry at you, scared about you, sad about you, and they feel they don't understand you, they, they, people are whatever. If you try to behave in such a way that they're happy about you all the time, what are you? You're a clown. You're a flower. You know, you're just one of these flowers. You're going to be a flower because people are happy about flowers all the time. You know, so you're going to be a flower. Okay, well, you can do that in some other lifetime because you're a human being now. You know, instead of trying to be a bunch of bananas, be a human being. So when you're a human being and you're trying to behave like bananas to make people happy, this is, you can do that. You can try, but it will, I'm telling you, it will not work. You know, if you try your best to be this kind of <clears throat> gray, kind of average, uh, people can predict what you're going to do. People can, are not surprised. People are, you know, you're, you fit in somehow. If you try to do that for your life, you, you'll have, nobody will really love you. Nobody can really love you because you're not there. But if you show up, as yourself, if you, if you keep unfolding what you are next and in the next moment and you take risks and you do experiments and you try this and you go and you, and you show up, you speak out, you, you, if you do that, you will piss off and scare away half the people, half. And then the other half of the people can love you. So it's kind of your choice. You get to be the gray oatmeal slime world or don't talk about that because we're having a lab in a week or so. <laughs> we always have oatmeal for breakfast. It's just disgusting. So in any case, or you get to be this colorful, you get to be this aliveness. You get to be present in, in the world and half the people are gonna not get you. They're gonna react and, and okay, you get to make that choice. There's no right or wrong about it. Marek, what will it be? I will be myself. We'll see. Prove it. Yeah. What are you feeling right now? Fear. About? About not reacting to if they are scared. What percentage big is that fear? Let's 40? say they're scared. 40% yeah. and they're scared. If they get scared, you're going to be 40% scared that they're scared. Yeah. Of you. Is that a feeling or an emotion? Have you ever felt That's that an emotion? Feeling? Aha! You have just discovered a gateway for a transformational healing process for yourself. Does that make sense to you? It does, yeah. So you could put up your hand right now and say, "Could I'd like one or two people to hold space for me to go through this emotional healing process. Is there somebody right here who would do that for me in the next couple of days? You could say that. Yeah, I would like to have an space for an emotional healing process and i'm wondering if here's someone who wants to hold space for me in the next couple of days ingrid uh devin janet 
What a great team. Thank you. I'll come back to you. You should write their names down or else your box will have you forget. Cool. Thank you. Yes. Anybody else, anything coming up right now about anything? All you people going, gosh, I wish I could come up with something so I could have an emotional healing process. I wish I could have something, anything, a wonderful emotional healing process where tomorrow I would look in the mirror and go, what's that? Who's that guy? I never saw him before. Especially if you're a woman, that would be really strange. So, so I'm, I'm telling you, you're, there's somebody out there who's, I could feel it. Somebody's wanting to have an emotional healing process. Somebody, can somebody want to say that? Can somebody want to admit it? I will. What, tell me uh, again. Emma. Emma, hi. What's it about? Um, similarly to what Merrick was talking about, I feel uncomfortable when other people feel uncomfortable. I feel fear when other people feel fear. I, or I feel fear, yeah, because of when people feel fear. When they feel fear about you or something else? Yeah. Yes, meaning when they feel fear about you. Yes, I, I feel, yeah. I, I feel fear when other people feel, feel fear about me. And that's a feeling or an emotion? Have you felt it before? It feels like an emotion. Yeah. Yeah. So go ahead, ask for it. Okay. I would like a healing emotional process regarding this fear about other people's fear of me from somebody here. Is in the next there someone who would? If somebody would. You have to ask them. Is there anybody here who would? Is there anyone here that would hold an emotional healing process for me regarding my fear of other people's fear? about me. Dora. I see Keon and Dora, you said. Keon and Ingrid. Great team. It was Ingrid, Keon, and Dora. Great. Thank you. Super. Thank you. Anybody else? Anything right now? Lives are changing right here before our eyes. People are gonna step into a new future. Next week, you will hardly recognize these people. Anybody else, anything else about the stuff that we've been talking about? Yes, Irene. Do I say Irene or Irene? It's Irene, right? Irene, 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 okay, go ahead. Okay, um, with all this um, wonderful ideas of four ways of listening, I'm realizing that I um, need to practice a lot, like different stages, because um, definitely I'm always like talking or well, what I'm understanding or seeing myself from this perspective of talking and not really listen to the others. So I'm thinking that um, 
I would love to have that um, for all the uh, emotional healing process or a group who wants to share and practice and explore how to listen and dare myself to listen or yeah that's what I'm thinking that I I would love to improve my listening skills and really listen what other are saying how many people how many people would work for that you think um how many people yeah clear and specific clear and specific i'm thinking i'm 15. 15 you're gonna hold space for 15 people to practice oh <laughs> I was thinking who can be interested at least 15 people can be interested in working on that. And as you said, or yeah, at the beginning you said as most you practice or you teach, you more learn or something like that. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I can start with a little, maybe less, <laughs> maybe less, but then can be 15, yeah. So look, if you're talking to level 15, Irena, you need to be doing a, a, a workshop. You, <laughs> yeah. you organize a workshop and you and you say, we're going to practice these things. And then you yeah. and you are not just the space holder. Every time there's a group, you divide up into groups and you are in one of the groups. And you get to feedback and coaching, you get to show people what to how to do this, you get money for it, and you become rich and famous by learning what you want to learn about. Where are you located? I'm in Costa Rica. Costa Rica. Unbelievable. There's six people coming. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I just yeah. uh, I say, ask, ask here, how many people would come to practice at this little uh, one day workshop? How many people can be in a one day workshop? One day? Why one day? <laughs> Come and three days. <laughs> okay, no, no. One day worship for practice how to listen. How many of you will be interested in practice? On so how to listen? is it online or offline? Be online. Okay. Can be both. In um, any case, Figure out what you're doing, figure out the date and time of your workshop, the price and everything, and put it into the into the telegram group, all right? Okay. Great. <laughs> okay, thank you. Yeah. Great, thank you. Cool. Okay, I wanna I would like to jump into this next section. Um I'm going to no, I'm not gonna I, there's a little picture in the book, but I I um hey Janet, you have your book right there. Can you hold up the the map? So on page 168. Yeah, hold it way up close to the screen just so people can see it. So it's a picture on the right hand side is this guy with these circles around and the circles are supposed to represent his bodies. And there's only four circles because the book was written before we did the, the fifth body. So you see one circle around the head, it's the intellectual body. 
one circle around the heart and in the middle, it's the emotional body. One, one circle around the legs, it's the physical body. One circle around the whole body, that's the energetic body. But then there's another circle for the archetypal body. And, the, and inside the woman right there, this little black, is, is the, it actually should be five sections of her listening space. And they can, she can listen to each of those five bodies. Do you get it? We can listen to the intellectual, physical, emotional, energetic, and archetypal body of the person across from us. Okay, thank you, Janet. That's great. That was great. So, so this is a, an amazing thing to figure out and to start practicing with because anybody around you has those five bodies and each of the five bodies has different things to talk to you, to tell you. And you have five bodies and your five bodies have different things to tell the people around you. So we have these five bodies. Now that you have some new clarity and possibilities about listening, it can be useful and interesting to distinguish in each communication being made, which of the five bodies is speaking to you. You can start by sensing which of your own five bodies wants to say something. Imagine that you're using an internal stethoscope. This is one of these things that doctors hang around their neck. They put it on, they listen to your heart or your breathing or something. It's a stethoscope. It looks like Marek's headphones. So and you wear it around. So imagine you've got one of those and it can listen to five bodies. So you can listen to five bodies in you and five bodies in the other person. So, so you start with yourself. You just start probing and listening for where your own uh, communication urge is coming from. You get this urge to say something from inside of you. Ask yourself which body wants to talk. Which of your which body wants to express itself? Physical is it so? So we'll go through this, you know, is it physical, intellectual, emotional, energetic, or archetypal? When you can sense what kind of urge is moving you to communicate, you will easily be able to sense which of another person's five bodies wants to talk to you. The five bodies each have their own unique urges for communication. So, for example, the physical body communicates physical needs. So hunger, thirst, sex, uh, uh, moving around, rest, you know, it's tired, thirsty, wanting uh, physical texture, you know, different kinds of food, that kind of thing. The intellectual body has urges for ideas, concepts, jokes, uh, distinctions, artwork, uh, like stimulation, stories, loves stories, loves to get involved in stories, imagination things, beautiful designs of things, text, you know, like that. The physical body wants textures, colors, smells, sounds. The intellectual body wants ideas, concepts, designs, things like that. The emotional body communicates, has the urge of different feelings. And these when, you, when the feelings are unconscious, the urges are also unconscious. So a person who's not trained to inter-navigate their four feelings, clearly you will get 
impulses from them that are mixed emotions, not feelings, emotions, and oftentimes mixed emotions. So they, they will be aggressive or depressed or have this kind of anxiety or uh, this um, despair or nostalgia, all these mixed emotions. The energetic body can communicate uh, like space, more about space. It's about uh, the qualities of space. And the archetypal body has, has these urges for uh, what's, what could be created. What's the vision? What can happen next? What's, what, um, how to uh, build up game world so that I have a chance to actually do what I came here to do. These are urges from your archetypal body. Just to be clear, this book was written before we had the distinction between the energetic body and the archetypal body. And a lot of it in my experience now is not accurate. It's confusing between the energetic and archetypal body. So the energetic body is very simple. It's very simple stuff. Like you're sitting at the table door, just a second, I see your hand. The, 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 you're sitting at a table and somebody uses your napkin and, and you go, and you, something in you goes, hey, this is just not, you know, it's, they did not ask. It was not appropriate. You know, they just took my napkin or somebody, somebody wears your clothes or somebody moves your shoes or, so, you know, somebody mm, goes into your closet and, or takes your stuff or something. It's energetically off. So the, it's this. The energetic body is a subtle form of the physical body. It's subtle, subtle parts of your physical energetics. And whereas the archetypal body has to do more with uh, vision and commitment and mission, what you're up to and what's your job, your service to the village, that kind of thing. Can I add something yeah. about the energetic? I mean, the energetic is also, uh, if somebody wants something from you and they don't express it in a verbal way or in an intellectual way, so that people try to take from your energetic space or try to enter your energetic space or they, try, they want you to do something, manipulation. And so that's like more the unconscious energetic body. And the, and the conscious is, well, I have my space and, and they have their space. And there's an urge for to be in a space where people can keep their space. Or an urge to be in a space where the purposes are conscious. I think the purpose comes from the energetic. And so, um, I, there's a lot of, I, I was just thinking about this, it's like, there's a lot of food that we're not, we are starving because we don't really, we, I don't know, it's like, we haven't really researched what our energetic body wants, what kind of food it wants. And, and yes, it, it has to do with, uh, what Clinton said, but it, it, there's also what can be created, what can be created at an energetic level. And, and I think it's worth researching, like really having this lessening of, okay, what does my energetic body want? And how am I gonna, how am I gonna figure this out? Like how am I gonna ask my, how can I listen? How can I listen to my energetic body? Which is different from feeling heard 
like being heard is more is really the heart is this emotional part or listening to somebody else being authentic or cur or being curious this is all emotional body food okay well what mm, i mean look watching a sunset for me is energetic because it's not really archetypal so watching a sunset or being in nature there's a part of it that's emotional of being fed by uh, our, our heart our feelings we whatever but there's a part of energetic of being in a sacred space so the sacredness is energetic lighting a candle yeah and i wanted to add one more thing which is about the the speed which is also about the energetic body sense of timing and speed and so and you can notice it a lot when, if you, for example, if you are adaptive, you give your center weight, you might also be adapting to another person's speed. And, and then instead of being nourished, you get more exhausted. People tend to get more exhausted and stressed. So also the energetic body and the impulses uh, that most people override completely is what is the tempo? What is the speed right now? What is the speed of the space that I'm creating? with this person or, or in this group and am i adapting am i creating one that aligns with my own energetic body or not and something i've discovered also is that i nourish my own energetic body by having my center mm -hmm. by having my attention on myself on my center i mean i mean try to imagine it should be easy right now. Try to imagine being a human being and relating to other human beings, not being not clear, being confused about which body your impulses to communicate are coming from and which body from the other person is trying to communicate with you. How confusing would that would be? And the, the main message here is that because we have been confused about this, our bodies, most of our bodies are starving. Most of our bodies are starving because we do not interact clearly. We do not provide ourselves with the, the kind of food that that body needs. You know, essentially the only thing with food that we've had is we feed the physical body with whatever is attractive to the physical body, sweet stuff. And, and we, we feed the mind with mind candy, you know? And so that's our diet these days is, and so we have three bodies starving and it's just a, an entire new domain of being a human being and being in human being in relationship to care for each other and each other's well-being in the five bodies it's an entirely different whole new territory to open up into i uh, see your hand kian door did you want to say something from before yes i wanted to ask about past life urges i had some past life uh, processes experiences that now i realize that some of my urges were from past life. Like when someone served me a drink, I was suspicious of that drink. And it was it related to something that happened to me in my past life. So I was asking about these kind of urges from past life, which body are they? 
it, they're the same five bodies, same five bodies. There's no difference about which body it is. The thing, the thing to beware of with the past life stuff is even childhood stuff is uh, we have these in an unhealed situation, if it is not healed or completed, we have emotions that are incomplete from childhood or from past lives that were originated in entirely different circumstances than now. And so even though they might get triggered by something from now, from the past life or childhood, that those conditions from childhood or past life actually do not exist now. And the healing will complete that so that the un incomplete communications from the emotions from the past as childhood or past lives gets completed now, then you get that energy back, the energy that's been suppressing it. So it's important to do the healing from childhood and past life to complete the emotional work. And that happens in those em emotional healing processes. But they, it's the same five bodies. Thank you. Yeah. Kian. I started experimenting with getting to know my five bodies and um, I just want to share the practice that I did because it was so immensely valuable to me and that was that I sat down every morning and started to feel my four feelings about each of my bodies about my physical mental emotional energetic and archetypal body and to really listen to what my four feelings were telling me about what these bodies need right now. And that, that practice really transformed actually how I see and relate to myself as, as my five bodies and gives me a lot of things to do, actually. A lot of like stuff I didn't know I need or I care about, I want, I noticed through that. And it really... Yeah, it's just a really amazing practice. I, I, I can warmly recommend to people. Thank you. Was there something else? Right. Let me. So, so my intention is in the last few minutes here to read into the next section, particularly to finish this part. So we can, can, can experiment clearly this week. I'm still on, on page 168. Each urge to communicate has a different experiential quality. Now there's a, a website called Experiential Reality. I, I encourage you, if you haven't been through that website, it's important because we're hammered into verbal reality by modern culture. And we, we actually depart from experiential reality and inhabit verbal reality as, in, as, a, as adults. And it's so, it's like a desert. It's so lacking in dimensions and qualities, the verbal reality. Just think of how much stuff there is in, in the entire universe. 
and how much stuff you have words for, which, which box is bigger. And so which box do you wanna live in? And so most of us have been hammered into this little box of things we have words for and the rest of the world, if we don't have a word for it, becomes invisible to us. So we're, we're very poor, we're given a very poor life, almost a desert, it's really a, worse than a desert. So you can shift back into experiential reality you just need to reclaim that, do the process of reclaiming it. It's a big healing process. So your internal stethoscope, remember, this thing that can detect the five bodies, it can amplify the intensity of your experiences so that you can sense which body is trying, has the urge. The urge to communicate reflects an imbalance if you did not have an imbalance, you would not have an urge to communicate. So you notice something. You notice it because there's this imbalance. And the successful communication will bring things back into balance. And that's what this is about. It's about surfing these imbalances. And so an excess, you can have an excess. One kind of imbalance you can have is too much of something or a lack, not enough of something, for example. Communicating from an excess attempts, <clears throat> attempts to relieve the pressure from the excess. Communicating from a lack attempts to relieve the vacuum that you're experiencing in either any of your five bodies. Successful communication reestablishes the equilibrium. So this is, not a, this is not a model for trying to live in equilibrium. It's a model for learning to surf. It's a surfing model because pantare is a, pantare is this ancient Greek saying from, from no, Heristocles. Heraclitus. Heraclitus. God, we can't even say his name. We don't even know if he really said this. But in any case, <laughs> pantare means everything is in flux. Everything flows. And so the, uh, a lot of meditative practices are trying to go and stay in equilibrium. And that's it's a lot like uh, flatlining. A lot like, you know, waiting till everything's dead. So, so... <laughs> This is not about that. This is about, uh, this is about being at an amusement park and all the rides are open for free and you get to invent your own rides and there's no ticket price and it, there's nothing you can't create. It's like no that. There's no line, no line to wait in. Kian, you object to that? Dude. Yes, I object. <laughs> because it, when, when you say it's, only Im imbalance that we communicate from i feel like there's the part of speaking from fullness left out like sharing your 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 fullness and that's an imbalance that's well, imbalance yeah it's too much okay there's fullness will, and there's emptiness i will silently meditate around that good luck <laughs> do not blame me okay if you go flatline, don't blame me, okay? Okay, all right. 
as soon as you become sensitive to which of your five bodies wants to communicate to someone else, you are already resonant to detecting which of another person's five bodies wants to communicate with you. Isn't this wonderful? Like the map for another person's world is in you. This is fantastic. It's not like there are strangers out there. It's unbelievable. There's this concept. There's this amazing concept in human beings that there are strangers. Can you imagine that people come up to you and they go, I don't really know you. I don't, you don't know me. I don't know you. You ever, people ever tell you this stuff? It's bullshit. It's one of those bullshit concepts. If you know yourself, you basically know everybody. We are, we are monkeys. It's pretty straightforward. Go to the zoo. You get 99% of what a human being is at the zoo and the rest is just fruitcake. So uh, with this new sensitivity, your completion loops can include so when you're making completion loops with people who don't even know any of this stuff we're talking about, you can still include an additional dimension of understanding in your completion loops with people. You can respond to the speaker, not only with the same information, but also in the same language they have used to speak to you, the language of each of the five bodies. So when a message comes from the speaker's physical body and says, I need, the new completion loop repeats back, you need. When a message comes from the speaker's objective intellect and says, I know that your completion loop is like, you understand, you know. When a message comes from the speaker's subjective intellect and says, my opinion, then you speak back your opinion. So when a message comes from the speaker's emotional body and says, I feel, your completion loop says, you feel da 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 because and when a message comes back from the speaker's energetic body and says i i what does it say i, I what I sense. I sense i notice in the energetic world it seems to me then your response is you notice and when it comes from your archetypal body i must i'm here for <laughs> i take a stand that i commit to I cause, then you can respond in the same language. So, so this is fantastically powerful to complete communications. It, re, it, it reflects, it reflects the, this uh, um, true connection, the two. So this added dimension of confirming what you heard the speaker say using a completion loop that's formulated in the language of the body from which they spoke to you, it instantly builds a contact bridge between you. So uh, um, I don't agree with the next sentence, but I only have one minute left. So it says trust immediately walks across this bridge, but I don't believe that anymore. Um, so uh, I'm skipping that sentence. The clarity and joy of communication in extraordinary human relationship is an ecstatic dance that can lighten the delivery or reception of even the most weighty messages. However, no matter how majestic, what a cool word, isn't that word? Majestic. No matter how majestic and marvelous this communication model is, nothing will change without you practicing it. 
without you practicing it. Oh, it says it right there over and over and over again, endlessly. The futility of hoping to change something without disciplined practice cannot be overstressed. <laughs> Ask anyone who plays the violin well. It just doesn't happen unless you really practice. God, the futility of hoping to change something without disciplined practice cannot be overstressed. This is one of those wizard books. It's a book of wizardry. It contains things like that. Anything from the team over on the couch before we shut down this space? The couch team, the couch potatoes, the sweet potatoes on the couch. We'll see you next week. See you next week. All right. I'm so jealous about the couch. My gremlin is so jealous. And my being, <laughs> and my being is really oh, joyful yeah. to see you all. It's amazing. Thank you, guys. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. See you. See you next week. Okay. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Yes. See you soon. Yeah.